the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. Today, I have with me Derek Gallimore, the CEO and founder of Outsource Accelerator, the world's top BPO marketplace advisory and operator. He helps businesses build, maintain, and operate offshore teams. His company serves as a condo between the Philippines and the high-cost Western world. He firmly believes in cost savings and the benefits of outsourcing, and is passionate about spreading his message worldwide. Before becoming a vocal offshore advocate, Derek founded and bootstrapped two eight-figure businesses. On today's episode, we'll discuss how Derek conceptualized Outsource Accelerator and how outsourcing benefits global businesses. He's also going to forecast the future of outsourcing in this post-COVID era. Before we start talking with our guests today, I'd like to talk to my listeners. As you know, digital marketing is all the rage these days, and the trend is posing to stay. If you need help with digital marketing strategies like SEO, content marketing, influencer marketing, or online PR, feel free to get in touch with my team. We have an expert team of strategists, writers, editors, and SEO professionals. For more detailed information, check out our website, shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. And now let's get back to talking with Derek. All right, you guys. Hey, welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I have Derek Gallimore with me today. Hey, man, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Jane, thanks so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were excited. I, you know, we were kind of talking about this before we started the podcast, just about the industry of, of BPO and, and virtual assistants and, and all that. And we're going to jump into that a little later, but because um, I, I have a, a pretty big history or, or a long history of, of, of hiring people out of the country. And I know you are in the Philippines currently and have a phenomenal company out there um, by the name of Outsource um, Accelerator. So excited, excited about chatting with you today. But I, I always like to start off with kind of talking a little bit about um, yourself as the founder and kind of where you grew up. Um, people can't see you right now, but I'm judging from the way that you look. I don't think you're from the Philippines. And that, that might be, I might've judged a little early here. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Um, you're you're accurate. You, you're correct. I'm accurate. Okay. With a little bit of an accent too, which I, I have an accent myself, but so where did, where did you grow up at? Yeah. I, uh, looking back, it's been a little bit of a mixed upbringing. I was born in the UK, but then raised in New Zealand. Uh, and then from about 18, I was kind of uh, on my own and then went to Australia and uh, Central America and uh, the UK, and now I'm based in the Philippines. So most of my upbringing was in New Zealand, uh, but I didn't really associate so much with that that country. Yeah, I was going to say the Kiwis. I've never been to New Zealand, but I've heard nothing but good things about the country. I mean, it's, it's like a beautiful place. It's a really beautiful place. It's, you know, super open, green, clean, healthy. But uh, to be honest. You know, I needed a, a bit more grit and concrete and cities and uh, pollution. You know, that really stimulated me in the in the younger period. A, a little side of pollution is, is always warranted. I mean, that's always nice. So that's that's good. So at least you found a little bit of pollution in the Philippines and phenomenal people out there. So it's exciting. So so how big was your, your family growing up? Like, give us a little background there. Just uh, we have only ever been a nuclear family, my, my brother and I and mum and dad. And, you know, their family kind of spread across uh, the UK and Canada. And pr- prior to sort of easy communications, people lost touch a bit. So we didn't we never had that extended family. It was just mm. just the four of us. Gotcha. You know, it's, it's so funny. I have friends of mine that have these like crazy like family reunions where there's like, you know, hundreds of people and my family's connected, but not that connected. Right. I mean, you know, I see my mom quite often and my dad and, but we don't, you know, there's never been like big, huge family reunions of hundreds of people. It's, it's, which is kind of unfortunate. I mean, there's, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I guess there's good things and bad things when it comes to that, but um, I do kind of miss that. I would always, it was always something I was very jealous of. Like these big family reunions always look like a lot of fun, probably too much fun. Actually, the people, my friends that I hung out with looks like they had a little bit too much fun. Yeah. And it's very different. You know, I come from a very Western, if you like, culture where you sort of grow up and you leave home at 18 and I'm living in the Philippines now, which is kind of a, you know, heavy, heavy family focused culture, very Catholic, huge families, lunches every Sunday. It's a massive contrast to the West. And, you know, I think the US in particular, where you're kind of on your own and you leave the nest. And um, I come back to, you know, and also South America and Central America, very family centric. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, lot of benefits to that. Yeah, it's funny. So the, the the friends that I was talking about are didn't really reference their Hispanic. And so that was their families, once again, big, huge families, Catholic. Hey, Sunday was this day. And it, when anybody had like a quinceanera or had something like that, everybody's getting together and everybody's hanging out and they're going to have a good time. So yeah, I, I look at that and go, man, that looks awesome. Of course, I was able to sneak in there obviously not Mexican or Hispanic myself, but I was able to get in there and move and shake, get some tacos and, and have some good stuff happening. So, um, well, cool. So tell us, and, and so right now, give us an interesting fact, any interesting facts growing up? Oh my gosh. Uh, I was, when I was very, very young, when I was about 18, the national bodybuilding champion, you, you took me by surprise there actually, but, uh, um, I've, I've moved on, definitely moved on since then. But, uh, yeah, that was an interesting period of my life. Yeah. That that is awesome. Congrats. Well, I'll tell you, man, I've seen some pictures of you. You're not doing too bad, my friend. It looks like you, you kept you kept some of the, the physique. I was looking, I was like, hey, you know, it looks like Derek gets his workout on. He's still out there getting his hustle on. You might not be winning awards right now, but that's okay. You're still looking good, but I want to let you know. Uh, you're too kind, Shane. Well, you know, I'm, I'm in the whole sort of podcast world, and it seems that every podcaster is into uh, biohacking and keto and all this. So <laughs> uh, I, I do my fair share of that as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's, that's always a, a tricky thing. I tell you, I've tried to do the, the keto thing. Um, I've done a lot of different things and we, well, that's a whole nother probably podcast where we could talk about the different things that we've done, but you look like you're doing good, I guess is what I'm saying. Keep up the good work out there. Um, and so you're in the Philippines. Where are in the Philippines. Uh, in Manila, which is the, you know, it's kind of like the New York city of the Philippines. It's a massive city of about 20 million people, give or take uh, huge city, high density, uh, and super hot. Yeah. Super hot. Yeah. There we go. That's, that's the thing. It's probably a little different than, uh, than, well, actually if you were in the UK, so UK, well, I guess UK can fluctuate, right? I mean, it can get cold out there as well, but that's not happening in the Manila, huh? I, look, I realized, uh, pretty early on that I needed warm weather. I, I could not deal with cold weather and also the short days that you get in like the UK. Uh, it really affects my, my mood. You know, and I think there is, like you, you can't really improve life if it's a sunny day, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's halfway there already. Yeah. No, that's, I, I hear you. Yeah. That's, that's, that is a hard deal. I mean, I, I am, you know, we, I live in Sacramento, so the weather is pretty, you know, pretty good. I mean, we, you know, fluctuate by 20, 30 degrees, I would say for the most part, let me take that back. Sometimes in winter, it can be a little colder, but California cold, which is not, you know, anybody else I would tell the degrees and they're like, really, or the, the you know, Celsius, but I, I, I am not like a big, like I like snow, but I like to leave. Like, I don't want to like, my wife's like, Hey, would you want to move to this mountainous area? And I'm like, that sounds awesome until it snows. And then you have to spend three hours like getting out of your front yard or you're with your car. And I'm like, right now I could just put it in drive and go. Like, it's very easy. Like I wouldn't have to spend that. So I couldn't, you know, being in cold, cold weather for a long period of time would not for a week or something. Awesome. Let's do it. But somebody would have to, I don't know, it's just not for me either. I'm, I'm more of a, a warmer, I mean, obviously I'm in California, so I like a little bit of the warmer weather. 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Go for it. Oh, I was going to say, so where did you go to college? Yeah, so I uh, did my first degree, just a basic business degree in uh, New Zealand where I grew up. Um, But I was fortunate to, I skipped a year of high school and I was really determined to to kind of get out of there, you know, spread my wings. Um, So I actually graduated my three-year degree at about 19 years of age. Um, which, you know, gave me a pretty good step up in life because I had that basic degree. And but then I was I was kind of out working and learning life um, by a pretty young age. And then in London, I, I did a master's. I did a um, management business uh, master's. Um, but, you know, I, I find that I've had most of my life learning by by living life, by doing things. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of the same. I, um, I you know, got a degree, but like, I mean, I got my degree. I'm not even going to tell you when it was, it was many moons ago. I, I always joke around like this is Shane 3.0 and that was like Shane 1.0. So this is, this was a little while ago, but the, the funny part about it is that like, I didn't, I don't apply. I mean, anything that I learned, things have changed so much. And I, I graduated with a marketing degree, but the internet wasn't really a thing, right? I mean, it was kind of at, at the beginning stages. And so anything that I've learned over the last, let's say 20 years has been really from doing you know, I mean, obviously doing, and then, you know, there's, there's other, you know, Udemy and there's other platforms out there that you can learn stuff. But I think it's been pretty interesting, but yeah, there's, unfortunately, I, I hopefully my son doesn't listen to this podcast. Cause he's going to be like, well, you told me I got to go to school. And I'm like, yeah, that's for you. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, that you're going to use what you're going to learn. That's not the point, you know? So it's kind of crazy. It's alive, Shane. I, I know. Alive. But I it is, you know, and I think it's getting worse because, or better, or however you look at it, but the redundancy of knowledge, you know, what, what used to be relevant for 10 or 20 or 50 years, a hundred years ago is now only relevant for a year and you've got to refresh all of your learning, your perspectives. Uh, and it's speeding up, isn't it? It's, it's, it it's is at, a, at an insane rate. You know I mean? I, we always joke around. I'm like, you know, now you kids can, you can Google and do all kinds of fun stuff. I'm like back in the day, I was trying to think of like, when I started my first business, like, what did I do? Like, how did I like, cause now it's like, you just Google and you, you get research and you do this and it's like, it's kind of all right there. Um, and I'm like, what, how did I start? And I was trying to remember, that's how, that's how old I am. I'm like, I can't even remember the business that I started or how I started it, but it's just a weird concept of like, like what happened before Google or before the internet? Like, how did we, how did we do things? Like, I don't know. Before digital, it was a mystery, you know? And I, I, I kind of, I just got in at the right time, I suppose, but a generation prior, you know, they had no email and it was a few faxes and phone calls and writing letters. Like, how do you do business? with that <laughs> I, i'm gonna have to google how to write a letter and what a fax machine is i've heard of those i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to figure that out i, I i've heard those terms no i'm just kidding no for anybody if you no, you know actually we i've got a friend here uh, another expat in the philippines and he makes a he has a fax online company where you can send a fax you know you upload a pdf and send a fax ah. he makes a mozza so there's it, it's crazy it's just a, a it prints money and huge amounts of money. So there's obviously people out there still sending faxes to someone. Is, Maybe everyone's sending them to Warren Buffett. I think he's still he's gets probably the, faxes, the, the guy. He? Yeah. He's probably, he probably checks it too himself. That guy's something else. Yeah. I remember seeing a video about him that was like kind of the thing. They jumped in the car to interview him and there he's like, Oh yes, I drive my Cadillac. And they're like, what year is this? And he's like, Oh, 2011. <laughs> okay. I mean, you got a few billion. I mean, you could get a new car. And he's like, no, I like this one. This is, you know, just very modest probably does do faxes and probably, you know, once again, probably the guy that answers them too. So shout out to Warren Buffett if Warren listens to the show. Um, so uh, what was your first job? What was your first job out of college, man? 
Uh, actually, you know, I've always been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. And as I previously mentioned, I was a little bit into bodybuilding. So I was super excited for my first job at about 16 years of age to become a trainer at the gym. Uh, mm. I think I was about 17. And it was Les Mills, which is actually a pretty well-recognized international brand, especially for all their, their pump and fitness classes and stuff like that. So I, I loved it. I was in heaven. Um, I started as a paid trainer, just hanging around the gym, loving it. And then I moved into being a personal trainer at about 17 years of age, um, which taught me a lot about you know marketing yourself, promoting yourself, running yeah. business, having to do accounts and having to make things balance at the end of the day. Yeah, the psychology of people too. I know that's, you know. Super. Yeah, yeah right. And also the leverage. I learned as a personal trainer, it's super hard to, uh, it's super hard to um, leverage your time, you know, because you're getting a fairly high hourly rate, but you can only do the hours you can do in a week, you know. So um, yeah. I, I learned about leverage there. Yeah, you're all, always hustling, right? I mean, it's always the deal. I mean, it's the same thing. I think there's a lot of industries where it's that way, where it's like, you know, you make a good hourly but how many hours are you working a week and what do you, you know, how can you be able to, to get more of those clients in at that hourly rate? Um, so, and that's awesome. So you've been a, I mean, you being a trainer, that makes total sense. You're like, you, you gotta be kidding me. This is like the perfect job for me. I got to hang out. I get a workout and they're paying me to do it. Like, Hey, life couldn't get better. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's at the awesome. time. I'm glad I yeah. moved on, but at the time. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. So how did you come up with the idea of um, outsource accelerator? Like what, like kind of tell us that journey. I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. So, I mean, just without going too deep into outsourcing, outsourcing by definition, though, is uh, the suppliers are in one country, you know, typically the Philippines, uh, maybe India, maybe Eastern Europe, and the clients are in another country many thousands of miles away. And uh, because of that huge gap, there's a cultural gap, there's um, opacity, ambiguity, it's really important that there is a proper marketplace in place to be the intermediary uh, or help you uh, browse and navigate the industry and also engage with the industry safely. You see a huge amount of marketplaces for literally everything now, you know, uh, obviously booking.com, uh, TripAdvisor, um, even Uber, uh, Amazon, uh, Alibaba. And I was shocked that there was not a proper marketplace representing the outsourcing industry now of course there are marketplaces there's like upwork freelancer that's for like the gig economy um but for the mid-scale for the professionalized services and that is a huge mature industry that's been going about 25 years there is no marketplace representing that and helping prospective clients browse the industry so um look i i thought i'd make it um, the, the reason why I kind of stumbled across this is because I, my prior business that I actually bootstrapped up to about a $20 million revenue business, um, uh, that was in service departments or corporate housing, as you call it in the US, that was mm -hmm. based in central London. Uh, and we were big users of the platforms like book.com and Airbnb, uh, you know, and Agoda. And of course, we saw the importance uh, the utility and value of those platforms. Uh, and, you know, to such a degree that now, you know, you, Shane, if you're looking for a hotel, you would never think of Googling individual hotel websites. You would only ever go to 
go to a marketplace, you know, and if you're booking a flight, you would typically go to a marketplace. So, so that's what we're doing for the outsourcing industry. I love it. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that was funny. We, and we talked a little bit off before we started the podcast about that and kind of like, that's genius, right? Because there's obviously a lot of companies that are, that do outsourcing, obviously in the Philippines, but then actually to have that directory of saying, Hey, here goes, you know, and also the education, because you talked about culturally and there's other things that play into that, that I think are really important. You know, when you're hiring somebody internationally, there's, you know, not everybody fits under this. And I, I think this happens a lot of times with Americans is, and I know that because I work with a lot of Americans is they, they want it to be this way because it's American. And I'm like, well, but there's other people's cultures, there's traditions, and there's other things you have to look at. And you have to be sensitive to those types of things because it's important. You don't want to, I, you know, my big thing is I don't ever want to come out as the ugly American, right? And I, and I try to educate other people to think the same way. It's like, listen, these are people that are, that are helping you, that can help your business, but we treat them just like everybody else. There's not, you know, we're not treating them just because it might be not as expensive as it is in the U.S. That doesn't mean they're not amazing people and not doing amazing things. So um, I think it's always kind of important. You know, you got to treat everybody like they're humans and, and if they're helping your business and we treat them like gold as we should. Um, so what are some of the, I mean, I know the benefits of, of outsourcing because I, I do it myself, but what are some of the benefits in your mind for, for businesses to outsource? Yeah, look, Shane, hands down, and this is such a super important message for anyone either starting a business, in business, small business, big business, it is without doubt the most powerful business tool out there. If you are in business uh, and not uh, using offshore staff, then you are missing out. You know, And simply, you can basically access abundant, high-caliber quality employees for about a 70% discount. So it introduces an incredible competitive advantage to your business. Uh, and, you know, you everyone has limited resources. So if you can basically triple up on your resources, triple up on your manpower uh, and, you know, high caliber employees, then you, you're off to the races. And it is just such a life-changing, business-changing transition once you make it. So, um, you know, that's the main message. It is, it is so, so powerful, Shane. Yeah. And the thing is, is, and, you know, once again, I'm not being paid to say this. I, I started using virtual assistants probably, I don't know how long ago. Um, actually, I started using freelancer when it was called get a freelancer. So that's when I started, you know, and looking around and finding these virtual assistants. Um, and I'll tell you firsthand that it's, I found some absolutely amazing people. Um, the biggest thing that I learned, and we talked about this a little bit once again before the podcast, but is about understanding um, exactly what you want them to do. And then don't expect for them to be superhuman. Like, hey, if you have somebody that does your email marketing, don't expect for them probably to do your videos and do your accounting and also to, you know, do some other things. So it's like, be very specific in the job that you're hiring for these. And you can find some, once again, some phenomenal talent. So I, I want to kind of get your opinion on, on how outsourcing has changed the world. Um, once again, for me and my business, it's been an absolute staple in my business, but I want to hear it from you on, on what do you think, how do you think it's changed the business world out there? Yeah, look, I, uh, look, if you zoom out, the bigger trend is towards absolute globalization. And, you know, it was only 20 years ago, you know, we talk about the old days, but it was only 20 years ago where you, oh, there is Amazon, there's Alibaba, and you get anything from, you know, around the world. And, you know, before, if you wanted to engage with Chinese manufacturers, it was a nightmare, you know, and you'd get ripped off and you'd have to fly over there. Now, with Alibaba, 
you know, you can get a 14-year-old boy watching an episode of Shark Tank. He comes up with an idea. He can reach out and he can create a skateboard prototype overnight and have it delivered. This is incredible globalization. And it is happening because of um, technology, like the, the enablement of technology and the infrastructure, and then just the trend towards the, it becoming a smaller world uh, and everything, just the, the sort of common adoption of remote and what you realize is when you look at things on a global scale, you know, even New York, you know, it's a great city. You, you find some great employees there, but there's only 10 million people there. There's 8 billion people in the world, you know, and many of them earn about 90% less than you do. And it is not about finding, you know, a cheap kind of assistant to help you with a bit of stuff. There are leading graduates from Ivy League schools across the world that have incredible skills and capacity and can work shoulder to shoulder with you remotely um, and produce incredible stuff for incredible savings. So, you know, when you think about stuff globally, uh, it, is, it is A, you get to save money, but B, you get to build out your business, your dreams, your operations, um, and also you get to access staff that you might not be able to access in your local market. You know, we actually deal with a lot of clients and they're looking for staff in their own market uh, and, and they just can't find them. You know, if you need a specific developer or um, high skilled job, then like welcome to the global market. There's 8 billion people there. And because of the technology, because now everyone is super remote and embracing of remote, um, all of the workflows are sort of online and in cloud, uh, then those 8 billion people are at your doorstep. And, you know, it's, it's a shocking truth. It's unfortunate. But many, many people, you know, there's one or two billion people in the world that earn less than a few dollars a day. Um, you know, and but there's also an opportunity in there to better the world, better the lives for everyone. Um, and there's this new great reset and rebalancing of the world. And there is just a huge opportunity to to at least just explore building your workforce on a global scale. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? I mean, the thing is the internet has opened it up so you can sell all over the place and you can also tap into talent from all over the world um, sure. at, at, at discount prices. But once again, that doesn't mean that they're not amazing people doing amazing things. And I think that's, the, that's kind of the point. So tell me about, so how have you seen the the outsource, like the landscape change because of COVID, because of COVID. I'm sure that's, I mean, you know, I know here in the United States, or at least in California, I mean, remotely, we have Google and Facebook and Twitter and everybody's like, hey, we can all do remote. Obviously, I'm sure you guys are, you've seen a lot of the same thing. How has that impacted um, outsourcing? Yeah, look, the common trope is that outsource, uh, sorry, that COVID has advanced everything by 10 years in about one year. Uh, and that's absolutely the case for uh, offshore staffing. Uh, and, you know, offshore staffing is really a, a cousin. I, I sort of know the remote community very well. It's kind of like a distant cousin of the remote world. And the reality is that once you free yourself from sort of physical connections with people, uh, and, you know, I, we've now moved on into a kind of paperless uh, workflow, and most people's work is now completely in the cloud. And so people are realizing that, you know, remote is what it is. It has its pros and cons. But again, there's just, you can sort of embrace the advantages 
uh, and then work around the disadvantages. And still, you know, I still recommend that in the Philippines, people get people in an office because, you know, there's, there's better community, there's better organizational momentum, um, there's better accountability. There's also better motivation. The kind of people that you want are the driven professionals that are looking for a career ladder, you know, and you find those people in the city centers. Uh, and, um, but basically plugging into them is now so, so easy uh, because everything is remote. Everything is done from online project management. We are talking over Zoom. Uh, everyone uses email and chat, Slack. It's all there and yeah, just so, so easy. So COVID has pushed that along. Um, and actually, you know, outsourcing is a counter cyclical industry where it generally does better when the rest of the world is in a recession because the rest of the world goes, hey, you know, I've kind of heard of this outsourcing. I don't really want to make changes. Um, I've heard some disappointing stories. Um, so I won't try it. But now when everyone's looking at the, you know, the bottom line, revenues are dropping, they need to cut costs, they give it a go. And it is life-changing for those businesses. Yeah, absolutely agreed, man. I think it's, if you, if you haven't looked into it, at least on a certain scale, you know, it doesn't have to be your whole work staff, but at least give it a try. And the other thing too, is like, just like no different than hiring anybody. It's you're, maybe the first person you hire isn't the best person, right? And maybe it takes a little bit of time, but that's in anything that you do. I think that's one of the things I've, I've been able to do better is the process of, of hiring somebody and really better to qualify them better. Um, and I think that's been a learning lesson just from hiring a lot of people and, you know, maybe me not being ready on my side. A lot of the times it wasn't the talent that I hired. It was the fact that I wasn't ready on my side with the processes and, and evaluation of what I really need them to do and how they need to do it, expecting for them to understand what's in my head. And that's been a, a big turning point for my business is understanding, hey, like I need to, you know, not everybody just thinks like I do and not everybody can read into my imagination. In fact, I don't think anybody can last time I checked. So it's important to have those processes and, and talk about that and, and how you can, you know, can outsource and, and make it uh, be valuable for both sides. Thanks, Derek. That was an insightful conversation. I'm sure my listeners appreciate the brand new perspective on outsource staffing that you've shared. For our listeners, thanks for joining the conversation, but don't go too far. On my next episode, Derek joins us to discuss the top challenges of outsourcing. So stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast.